Well, good morning, and welcome to our service uh, this Lord's Day morning. It's good to be with you. We'll we'll begin uh, our public worship of God today. Well, let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Our eternal and ever-blessed Father, Lord, we give you thanks again for another opportunity that you've afforded to us, where we can come into your house, where we can sing praises to your most glorious name, where we can worship you, worship uh, a God that is sovereign over each and every one of us, a God that is just, a God that is loving, a God that is merciful and uh, gracious, and we thank you uh, for that abundant mercy and abundant grace, Lord. Uh, Each and every one of us here are entirely undeserving of um, the very least of your mercies, Lord, yet uh, in your love you, you saw fit to Put that salvation plan in place from before time began. That you would, in all your love, send your son, him who knew no sin, who became sin for us, Lord. We thank you for that wonderful gift. We pray that we would be reminded of each and every day of what truly happened on the cross, Lord. That we would not sanitize it. That we would be reminded of of, of the brutality of what happened there. That the death that happened there, the blood that was shed. With each and every one of us here, online and in this house, that have fingerprints on those nails, Lord. We pray that we would remember that, that it's the sin of ourselves that put him there. We give you thanks, Lord, that we are able to, in in safety, to to come here and to to hear your word, to learn more about you, to sing your praises. We pray for those across the world that don't have the opportunity to do such, Lord. They don't even have an opportunity to, to sometimes share that they are even Christian, Lord. We pray for them. We pray for that persecuted church. We pray for those who have to meet underground just to open your word, who have to have Bibles smuggled in across the borders, Lord. We pray for them, but we also pray for their respective governments, Lord, those that are in charge of those countries, that they would come to know you, that you would reveal yourself to them, that they would uh, be uh, receptive to the gospel, that they would recognise that you are indeed the almighty God, that they would even look out their windows and that they would see your wonderful power in the weather and that they would see your wonderful creation in the the hills and the seas around them, Lord, that they would be able to to look and see that this didn't just happen by chance, that there was indeed a designer, there was a creator of all that we see around us, Lord. So we pray that you would make yourself known to them, reveal your peace to them, reveal your light to them, that they would turn to you and that they would indeed seek your face, Lord. We pray uh, again for uh, this congregation, Lord. We give you thanks uh, for all the wonderful provisions that you've given to us, Lord. For the, the building that we uh, meet in each and every week, Lord. For the, um, for the volunteers that we have helping at the various uh, groups, Lord. It's great to see uh, an intimation uh, sheet that goes on uh, quite long, Lord. With all the work that is being done here, Lord. But we ask that we would be reminded that all that happens in this congregation and all that happens from those uh, associated with it, Lord, it's done to your glory. Not to the glory of self, not uh, to the glory of uh, each and every one of us, Lord, but everything is given over to you. All that we do is to see your will done on earth as it is in heaven, as we seek to glorify you and enjoy you forever, Lord. We pray for those unable to be with us uh, today. We pray for those uh, unable to be with us through illness or um, through work uh, commitments, Lord. We pray for them and ask that you would be with them. Uh, we bring before you Margaret, Lord, and ask that you would be with her. Be with Kenny as well at this uh, difficult time, Lord. We ask that you would uh, be near to her and that she would be aware of your presence uh, and your comforting presence there, Lord. Uh, we pray for all uh, those who are grieving at this time as well, Lord. We ask that uh, you would be with those, whether it's a recent grievance uh, or a, 
um, or an old bereavement, Lord, we pray that you would be with those that are struggling at this time with a loss, that you would comfort them, that you would make yourself known to them, and that they would be aware again of your presence and they would be comforted uh, by that, Lord. We particularly bring before you, though, Lord, those who have made no conscious effort to come here today, those who have woken up this day, your day, and have no desire to come here, have no thought for you, have no thought for their own soul, have no thought for their own eternal destination, Lord. We pray for them and ask uh, particularly that you would reveal yourself to them, uh, that they would be aware of the sin in their own lives, that it would uh, draw them to turn away from that sin, Lord, that they would turn away from that sin and turn towards you, that we would see them come into this house, to come in to hear your word, uh, to hear about the glorious uh, salvation plan, which is that golden thread that runs through your scripture. We pray, Lord, that you would... uh, soften their hearts, those hearts of stone, Lord, that you would soften them and that they would be receptive to your word, uh, that it would be like the seed uh, lying on good soil uh, and not on the path or uh, that the thorns would uh, come up and choke it, Lord, but they would be landing on good soil and the word that would go out would be rooted and that it would indeed uh, be be fruitful lives that are uh, witnessed across the place, Lord. And we pray that our own witness as a congregation here uh, would be evident to those that walk by this very day To those that we encounter throughout the week, we pray, Lord, that it would be uh, seasoned with salt, the conversations that we have. uh, That we would be given, not just given opportunities, but we would be given the boldness to take the the multitude of opportunities that we have to share your gospel with those around us. Whether in the workplace, whether in the street, in our own families, at home, wherever you have placed us, Lord. Our mission field is is as long and as wide as our own feet. So we pray that wherever you've placed us, that we would be used, that we would be used for you. And that we would be able um, to see many more souls saved, Lord, uh, in your uh, glorious power. Uh, We pray for David uh, in Oban, Lord, and ask that you would be with him this weekend. We give you thanks uh, for the congregation there. Uh, We pray that they would have a blessed weekend. Uh, We pray for Ian uh, as he ministers there in Oban and ask that you would uh, continue with him, that you would continue to equip him. And we give you thanks for um, his health uh, and that he's back uh, preaching just now, Lord. We give you thanks uh, for your healing hand upon him. We pray, Lord, uh, for... Uh, those uh, young ones as well that are with us today. It's great to see so many young ones here, Lord. We pray for them. Uh, We ask that you would be with them, uh, that you would go before them in all that they do, that you would uh, be with the Sunday school teachers. We give you thanks, Lord, for those that uh, come each and every week to to share the gospel, to share who their risen saviour is, and that we would point the young ones uh, to the cross, that they would live lives that are pleasing to you uh, as early as possible that in the days of their youth, that they would know you and that they would live lives pointing others to you, whether that's still in school or beyond school, into the workplace, into university, colleges, or wherever wherever you take them, Lord, that they would confidently share of your word, that they would uh, rail against the the words of society just now, Lord. We pray that uh, society itself, a country that we are in, that was once well acquainted with the book, is no longer the case, Lord. We pray that you would indeed... Plant these churches uh, that we know of in our own denomination across this nation, that we would see uh, many Christ-centred churches being planted in corners that have have never had a church, uh, that many don't even know the name of Christ other than as a profanity, Lord. But we pray that you would uh, be in those places, that you would um, send people there uh, to plant those churches and to work in those communities and to share that that glorious gospel which we cherish so dearly, Lord. Uh, We also pray, Lord, for... The other denominations uh, in our midst here in Tarbert and the rest of Harris, Lord, and ask that where Christ crucified is preached, you would be there this morning, that you would bless 
their, their meetings, that you would bless those servants that share your word with them, Lord, and that they would indeed have a blessed Lord's Day, uh, and that they would go out, that they would hear the word, they would meditate upon the word, and that they would go away seeking to grow in greater knowledge of who you are, Lord. So be with us just now, go before us in all that we do, be round us, keep us, and pardon our many sins. In Christ's precious and most glorious name we pray. Amen. So we'll say a wee word of prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we give you thanks again for, for all the young ones here with us and for any listening online, Lord. We ask that you would be with them in the days of their youth, that they would come to know you, that they would have a relationship with you and that they would recognise that the lives that they have, the sin that we all have, the times that we fail, can be fixed by you. And if we turn to you and ask that you would come into our lives and we would trust you and put you at the centre of our lives, that that sin that each and every one of us has, each and every one of us will still sin, can be dealt with and can be resolved by you, Lord. That uh, that restoration can be done through you uh, and through the Holy Spirit, Lord. So we pray that you would be with them as they go and learn more in Sunday school, as they sing uh, and they learn more about who you are and what you've done for them, Lord. We pray that you bless them, that you would go before them, that you would protect them uh, in school, that you would protect them in society uh, and that you would be with them uh, in every possible way to meet their need, Lord. So go before us just now. Be round us. Keep us. Pardon our many sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as the young ones head out, if you could turn in your Bibles, we've got a couple of readings. First one from Mark chapter 14 and from verse 26. So we'll read through to verse 42 and then the latter part of the passage and then we'll move forward to Mark chapter 16. So verse 26 of Mark chapter 14. And when they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed and going into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. We just skip forward to verse 66 now. We'll read verses 66 to 72, just at the end of the chapter. This is where Peter denies Jesus. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, 
you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And then the last passage we'll read is chapter 16, just the first um, nine verses, uh, eight verses, sorry, of chapter 16, just a couple of pages along. We now move to the resurrection. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. From trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word to us. Just before we turn back to God's word, just say a short word of prayer. Lord God, we again give you thanks for your word. We thank you that we can come to it so readily, Lord. And we pray that you would speak to us through your word today, that we would see on each and every page your son, Lord, and that we would see Christ crucified as we read it. Lord, We pray and give you thanks that we can turn to your word, that you speak to us through that word, Lord. So go before us, give us opportunities to hear what you have to say to us today, that will not just pique our interest, Lord, but it will have a heart change for us and that the, the Holy Spirit would be used, Lord, and the word would, would go out uh, like, a, like an arrow going into the hearts of those that hear it, Lord, that we would hear it, that we would meditate upon it, understand it uh, with a view to, to understanding you more and growing in greater knowledge and a greater relationship with you, Lord. So be with us just now. Uh, forgive us for all of our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, we can turn back to chapter 16, the latter uh, chapter which we read. Uh, And we'll take our text from verse 7 of chapter 16. Uh, Verse 7 of chapter 16 says, so that the messenger uh, that was there says, But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And specifically the the passage or the the two words that I want us to, to focus on are just those two words, and Peter. But go tell his disciples and Peter. So those two words are really the kind of summary of what I want us to to look at today. And the question, just as I asked, uh, rather honestly, Fraser, uh, was helpful. Have you ever let somebody down or have you ever failed the Lord? It's a question I want us to ask. It could be in the workplace, it could be at home, uh, it could be, as Fraser said, brushing your teeth. But have you ever let somebody down uh, or failed somebody? Or even if, have you you let the Lord down this very morning? It's a question I want, you obviously don't need hands up, but please ask that question to yourself Um, as we start have you ever let somebody down and if you have particularly if you've failed God even this very morning then this is a message of hope for all for all that have failed God for all that have sinned which is indeed every single one of us here today and online these two short words in verse 7 of Mark chapter 16 may seem insignificant they may be a couple of words that you've maybe read before and you've just glossed over and never actually taken the time to think why did why was and Peter added in there it serves however as a wonderful hope for us and a promise to each and every one of us that have failed God when it says but go tell the disciples and Peter so the question we might ask is why why did the messenger use these words why did they add in and Peter was Peter not one of the disciples already why did this young man dressed in a white robe say and Peter 
and not just go tell his disciples. This was Peter who, as we looked at in in Mark chapter 14, had so wretchedly denied the Lord, who had boasted in his loyalty and commitment to Christ, and then it failed. It abandoned him as he denied him three times, as the Lord said he would. So if we take our minds back to those verses that we read in Mark chapter 14, it certainly helps to shape the backdrop to this verse and to those two words in particular and Peter. In the hour of his master's humiliating trial, Peter denies him. What we saw was a shameful, cowardly denial. It wasn't due to the threat of life. It wasn't due to some horrific struggle that he was going through in his life to remain faithful. No, it was at the first question of a young girl, Peter denied his Lord. How that must have cut Peter to the heart, reminding him at that moment that Jesus had foretold his denial. And it wasn't because he was under significant pressure. It was a young girl that had challenged him on his knowledge of who Jesus was, and he denied him. And so Peter goes out and weeps bitterly, those bitter tears of repentance. We can only imagine what was going through his mind in the following couple of days, when he sees Jesus crucified, Jesus dies, and is buried. All that Peter has left was his terrible denial. His sin was continually before him, and so it is with us today in 2023. So we come to our verse here, and it tells us here, Tell the disciples and Peter. There's an emphasis there. Make sure to tell Peter. That Peter, as we saw in chapter 14, who denied the Lord, needs to know that his Lord is risen. He who had fallen into the depths of sin, having denied his Lord, must be comforted. One of the commentators, John Gill, says the use of that and Peter was used to comfort Peter in his great sorrow on account of his fall and to encourage him to meet Christ with the rest of his disciples. Peter must know That he has nothing to fear. And it's to that comforting word of the risen Christ that we listen today. It's the word of Christ, eh, sorry, it's the word of Christ that the angel speaks to Peter and to all of us as we sit in the sorrow of our own sins. When the message came, I'm quite sure those two words and Peter would have rung very loudly in the ears of Peter. (coughs) He would likely have been utterly despondent, knowing he had failed the Lord by denying all knowledge of him prior to his crucifixion. Now, interestingly, what you will know if you uh, read the other Gospels, this is the only account in the Gospels where it stipulates Peter's name, where it says, and Peter. And we're assured of the validity of that. We may may question it and think, why all of a sudden is it it there in Mark's uh, Gospel? But most of the scholars say that Peter was very much involved in the writing of Mark's Gospel. One of the commentators says that the second Gospel was drawn up as all earliest tradition states, under the eye of Peter, or from materials chiefly furnished by him. So we can be sure that these two words are very accurate, because the very person uh, quoted in them would have heard them said. But these words also speak to us here today, 2,000 years later, as we see the risen Saviour offers hope to all who have failed. We've all failed today. We've all failed in our lives to the Lord. And it's to that comfort that we turn to today. Matthew Henry says... Tell Peter, it says tell Peter, for it will be good news to him, more welcome to him than to any of them, for he is in sorrow for his sin. And no tidings can be more welcome to true penitence than to hear of the resurrection of Christ, because he rose again for their justification. When we consider these two simple words and Peter, there's a few helpful insights that I want us to very briefly um, go over. The first of which is that our failure cannot be hidden. Thankfully, uh, Fraser was very honest and didn't want to hide it at all. Um, but our failures can't be hidden. Even when we try, they cannot be hidden. You just have to go back to the beginning of the Bible. Ever since Adam's first sin in the garden, the instinctive reaction of humans is to try and hide from God. This is, of course, an utterly ridiculous reaction, for he's everywhere. 
He knows everything. He sees everything. So we cannot hide from him. He's all-knowing. He's all-seeing. We cannot hide from him. Even though we look upon this reaction as irrational, we've all been there. We've all done it. I've done it. We try to hide our sins from God. If I just do this little thing behind closed doors where no one can see, it'll be fine. It doesn't impact anyone. It's just me. Or if I just think this sinful thought, then no one's been harmed. No one's getting harmed if I think this thought. But remember, no one can hide. Not one of us can hide even our thoughts from the Lord. Peter had insistently denied that he would fail God. Now, he was the only one that would remain loyal to his Lord. He said, although others will fall away, I won't, I won't fall away. What we see here is that Jesus knew Peter far better than Peter knew himself. And it's the same with you and it's the same with myself today. Jesus knows each and every one of us better than we know ourselves. He knows our hearts far more than we know them. And those of us that are Christians, what comfort we can take knowing that even, um, even those uh, the sins that we've yet to commit, he still died for us. Isn't that just a phenomenal thing to hear that in spite of our failures, in spite of the, the, the multiple sins that we have in our own lives, both past, present and those that are coming in the future, he still died for us and he died for Peter as well. In Luke's Gospel, if you've got your Bible there, we don't need to put it up on the screen if, 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 if you don't want, but in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, uh, just a few verses there I want to quickly read. Um, we see that Jesus did not just know Peter was going to deny him, but what we see is that Jesus was actually there when Peter denied him. Look at Luke 22, and we'll go from verse 54. Uh, so verse 54 of Luke 22 says, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when, they had a kind, and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, an hour still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And the emphasis there is on um, verse 61 there. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked at him. If anything should send a chill down our spines, it's that, that the Lord turned and looked at him. In the midst of his denial. Now just imagine if you're Peter. You've just said. "Um, I don't know this man that you speak of. I don't know him. And you find the Lord looking at you. As you deny knowing him. I think that look from Jesus would have spoken a lot more to Peter. Than words may have. John Gill again one of the commentators says. uh, With his bodily eyes. With his great earnestness. Expressing in his look. Concerning and pity for him. For it was not a look of wrath. Or resentment from the Lord but of love and mercy, and power went along with it. It was not only a signal to Peter to put him in remembrance of what the Lord had said, but it was a melting look to him, and a means of convincing and humbling him him, and bringing him to a repentance. We read at the end that Peter went out and wept bitterly, and it made me think about how we are as sinners, how I am as a sinner. If we know that the Lord would be seeing us, watching us, looking at us as we sin, would we sin any less? I don't know the answer to the question for yourselves, but it it really did get me thinking. Remember, there's never a time when he doesn't see us. Not once, not one moment. We can hide from each other. We can hide our sin uh, from those around us, but not from the Lord. And it made me uncomfortable as I was um, preparing for this. um, And I I urge you to, 
equally be as uncomfortable um, uh, today as we consider that, as we consider the sins of thought uh, and what we do. If the Lord was looking at you as you did it, would you stop? So we see here that Jesus saw the sin before it happened, when he warned Peter of those denials. He saw it when it happened, and he also highlights the failure of Peter after it happened. The Lord didn't do what we often do when we see someone who lets us down. Uh, as a people, oftentimes in Scotland, we tend not to focus um, on the person that's just hurt us. We don't touch on the elephant in the room. Um, I know in other countries, I'll not say, but some people can be a bit more forthright when they see a failure or they see that somebody's done something wrong. Um, but that's not often the case here in Scotland. But no, the Lord doesn't do that. He brings it up directly with those involved. The Lord challenges us in our unbelief. We cannot hide our failures from the eyes of our risen Saviour. He knows every awful word, every awful thought, and every awful act that we do before we even do it. He knows how I and every one of us here today are going to fail him this week, even into the rest of this day or the rest of this year. He knows how we are going to fail him, which makes it more amazing that he died for us, knowing the sin in our lives. The only way out of our failure, though, is to acknowledge them, and to confess them to Jesus. We shouldn't try to brush them aside or hide them or or minimise them in our lives. We have to confess them, not try and cover them up. And the question maybe to ask us, have you ever been caught in your failure by the Lord like Peter was? I know I have. Uh, Maybe an unbeliever points something out to you. Um, I remember shortly after I became a Christian, I remember someday in work when we were in Glasgow, um, I told everyone in work that I was a Christian, and there weren't weren't any Christians at that time uh, where I worked in Scottish power and I remember somebody said we explored a little bit about what my faith meant and how I believed in the Lord and if, if you didn't believe in the Lord then uh, it, you would go into a lost eternity and I remember her saying to me if you think that's true why are you not telling every single person here about that and it just really challenged me um, at the time and you feel when you when you have failed the Lord and you know you've done that especially in front um, of others you feel exposed you feel exposed instantly you almost feel naked at the time especially when the failings uh, that are highlighted to you come from those least expected places. Even if, they, even if we think we can get away with our sin at the moment, the Lord will not let us get away with it later. And he's got ways of finding opportunities to remind us when we come to our knees and confess these sins. If you think today that you're able to hide your sins from the Lord and from his eyes, then you're kidding only yourself. You must, uh, you may be listening thinking, sorry, that um, what happened to this message uh, that we're talking about here being of hope. I mentioned earlier that there was hope and um, we focused a lot on failure at the moment uh, and how we can't hide these. But the Lord shows us these sins in our lives in order that we turn to him and confess. Because it's only when we do that that our hope and promise is found. God's love is always greater than our failures. So we've looked at the first one, failure cannot be hidden. I want us to now quickly look at how failure cannot separate us from the love of God. You can look at Peter's failure here and think it was significant, and you would be right, it is a significant failure where he denied the Lord three times. He spent three years in the direct presence of the Lord, witnessing miracles, being part of that inner circle, yet still denied him three times, and the third time was right in front of his Lord's face. The last words Jesus heard from Peter before going to the cross was his denial of him. If the Lord is able to forgive and show love to Peter here in these circumstances, then he can to you. There is a wonderful hope for us in this story. These two words and Peter tell us that there is hope for you and for me. Jesus' love was greater than Peter's failure. His love was and is greater than any of our failures, which is the reason why we're here today. This is the message of the gospel. Jesus loves 
Uh, Jesus' love for you, sorry, and I is what sent him to the cross. Look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Not for God so loved his disciples. Or for God so loved the holy or the good. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It includes the dark places of failures. The failures that we see in our newspapers, the, the trauma and the tragedy that we see across the world. It includes these places as well. He died for them, not just for the good, not just for the disciples. Even just look at the recent events um, in our own country. You see in recent years how I mentioned that we were once a a country well acquainted with the book. But you don't have to look far to see how lost of a nation we are um, when uh, the very basics of of life are questioned in how we live our life. And I've had the odd person through my time, not as often um, as I probably anticipated, but those that would maybe challenge your faith. Um, and challenge the faith that you have and the hope that you have. Many of them will try and um, attack God's word or attack aspects of who, who the Lord is. They may say, well, if God loved us and loves us all, why does he not just forgive us all? Why is that not enough? Or I'm a good person, why does he not just forgive us for the lives that we are living if we're living a good life? And the answer is because God's a just God. This is part of his nature and sin needs to be punished. It has to be punished. So if we all accept that sin is in our lives, And we all acknowledge that sin needs to be punished. Either you pay the penalty for your own sin or a substitute pays the penalty for your sin. And we know, as we spoke to the young ones, there not any one of us can save ourselves. So we have to look to the substitute. And the only substitute is Christ and Christ alone. The amazing thing of this story uh, of Peter here is that while he was actively sinning in his thrice denial of the Lord, Jesus was on his way to the cross to lovingly pay For the price of his sin and ours. But to experience this forgiveness and love. You must turn away from your sin. And trust what Jesus did on the cross for you. That he was the final complete and perfect sacrifice for each and every one of us. If you accept him into your life. He will be that perfect sacrifice for you as well. And the Lord deals personally with you with your sin. Um, He didn't publicly shame or highlight Peter's failing at that time. He saw his his third denial. But he didn't challenge him there and then. He could have. But he didn't need to. And it's the same for you. He'll bring you to your knees in confession and deal with you intimately and lovingly. If you're not a Christian today, then first and foremost, you must turn to God in prayer to confess your sins. Acknowledge your failures and remember that there is only one way to see them forgiven. The love Jesus has for Peter and for each and every one of us here is based on grace and not human effort. There was no system of penance to work off the debt that Peter built up with his failure and his denial. Thankfully, it was grace and not the works, it's what's required with our Lord. And we see, I don't know if it's in this room, I think it's uh, at the back there, sorry, the, the picture there, grace, which means God's riches at Christ's expense. If you can earn it, if you can earn that salvation, then it's not grace. Grace is a free gift from the Lord. And I would have mentioned it with the young ones, but we see Christmas is on the way, uh, a few sighs probably, probably a bit early to mention Christmas. But when we think about getting a gift, we don't sit at the Christmas morning if someone gives you a gift and say, what do you want me to do before I open this? You take the gift, you accept the gift, you thank the person that's given you the gift, but you don't ask for what you can do to earn it. It's totally free. Well, it's not free for the person that paid for it. It's costly to God, and it was costly um, in, the, in, his, in the sending of his son. It's free to you, for you to receive it, and it's free for me to receive it, but it was costly to God. Now, I don't know any of your own hearts, and equally you don't know mine, but we each know where we ought to turn to for forgiveness. Coming in simple faith to Jesus will see you receive this wonderful grace. There is, however, an enemy to grace that we're all familiar with, and that's pride. A word that's certainly been hijacked in our own society in recent years, 
But pride is absolutely something to be wary of. We may look to others and say that, oh, well, my sin's nowhere near as bad as that person or um, that family over there. They're, a, they're an awful family. I would never do anything that they've done. Um, or we are more giving as a family than that family. However, each of us will be humbled by grace as no sinner is disqualified. No matter how low in the valley you may be, the same promise applies to you as applies to the next person. Remember those words in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, and Peter. So finally, we've seen uh, that our failures can't be hidden. Our failures can't separate us from God's love. We now see, finally, that failure does not remove us from serving God. The amazing thing is that God took Peter and used him mightily. That wasn't the last time we heard from Peter. God uses each and every one of us and our failures to teach us. In my preparation, I was reading a story about, it was a junior executive at a a software company. And he was involved in a somewhat risky uh, venture. And he lost over $10 million. I think this was back in the 80s. He lost $10 million for the company. And the company's owner called the nervous executive into his office. And the young man blurted out, I guess you want my resignation. And the owner of the company said, you can't be serious. We've just spent $10 million educating you. Now, God takes those who have failed the worst and makes them trophies of grace for all to see. It was Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost to 3,000 who were saved and the church was founded. And you can read that in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 onwards. Look at Jonah. He maybe ran to, to Tarshish, but he'll be back and he'll head over to Nineveh and see one of the greatest revivals recorded in history. What about David? We sang Psalm 51. He sinned so terribly, as we read of in Psalm 51. But we'll see in that as well, in that Psalm, why he is called a man, of, a man after God's own heart. Take a look at Thomas. He may be doubting, saying, unless I see the hands of the hands, his hands, the marks of the nail, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe, as we see in John 20. But he'll be back, and it's believed uh, that he was then martyred and taken, uh, after taking the gospel to India. Peter denied the Lord three times. Peter, who denied the Lord three times, learned to be a witness in his failure. Will you be a witness for the Lord? We often hear of uh, businessmen and, and women saying that you learn from your failures, and there's this thing, you try to learn fast. There's this thing that goes around the business world. If you learn fast, then you can grow quickly as well. Um, this will mean that you avoid long-term learning process if you do it quickly. Uh, but rather than seeking to fail fast in this way, what we ought to do is come to the Lord in prayer, confessing our sins and asking that he would use us for his glory. Not for us, not that we would benefit, but that he would see himself glorified and the advancement of his kingdom. But coupled with this learning, we can also graciously come alongside others who have failed to point them back to the Lord and to the cross. We are to serve God as Peter was asked to. And as we mentioned earlier, the Lord's not interested in our works or our penance. He doesn't go to Peter and say, what have you done to earn my forgiveness? You failed me when you denied me three times, but what are you going to do for me to earn that forgiveness? Or how long did you weep when you denied me? Jesus is more interested in what's happening in Peter's heart than what's happening in his works. One of the commentators said, Jesus, as the true shepherd, appoints Peter and the other apostles to be subordinate shepherds. Peter will demonstrate his love for Jesus by loving God's people and feeding them with his word. And is that you? If you're a Christian today, do you show your love for the Lord by sharing his word and feeding it to those that don't know it? We spoke earlier to the young ones about restoring those buildings and cars uh, so that they become like new. When God restores you, he can use you to bring great hope to those who have failed miserably as well. The good news is that the risen Saviour offers eternal life no matter how badly you've failed, by grace alone and in Christ alone. All of us have failures that many of us can recount. 
And I always remember, I think it was DJ that said this, um, I think it was Reverend Norman McKeever about the, the screens in the back of your head. I think he said if, if you had a screen at the back of your head that displayed all of your thoughts, everything you'd ever done, would you be happy for people to watch it? And I think many of us would say, no, we wouldn't. We know what the failures are in our lives. Therefore, we ought to bring them to the Lord because you cannot escape his eyes. You must trust in his shed blood for you. Only then will you know the full extent of God's saving power. And I've used this um, passage a few times uh, recently when I've been preaching, but when I think about the sin in your own lives, how do you view it? Uh, And Thomas Watson, one of the Puritans, said, Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. So is sin a bitter taste to you? Or have you become accustomed to that taste and it no longer affects you? I pray that it would bother you and that the sweetness of Christ would be what you long for. We may ask ourselves, have I reflected eh, on God's glorious image in the workplace this week or in school this week? Have I wasted many hours this week rather than seeking to win souls for him? How little time have I given to the Lord this past week? No matter how badly you've sinned or failed, remember these two words in verse 7 and Peter. If you've placed your trust in the Lord, then you can insert your own name into this verse. And Peter, and Stuart, and Doll, and whoever is here today, put your own name in there if you trust in the Lord. Is there anyone here who has failed? Then listen as God speaks to you today. If, if however, you sit among us eh, and you've not yet given your life to the Lord, I wish to bring you the words of the great preacher, Charles H. Spurgeon. And he says here, and I quote, I can only pray for you that the Lord would be pleased to reveal himself unto your heart, that a blood-bought pardon may dissolve your heart of stone, that you may be brought to give yourselves to him, knowing that if you have done that, you have the best proof that he has given himself for you. Peter might argue with Paul about who is the biggest sinner, but neither would argue about how wonderful God's amazing grace is towards all who have failed. How wonderful that love of God is. It's the love that sent Jesus to be the covering for our sins. It's a love that seeks until it finds us. A love that works by irresistible grace until it makes us beloved children. God's love never fails. We give thanks to the Lord for this love. It's what Peter needed. It's what we need as well. It's what I need and it's what you need. And I urge you, friends, please listen to the Lord as he speaks to you today. Amen. And may the Lord bless those very short uh, reflections on his word. Let's say a word of prayer. Our gracious God, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you that as we turn to your word, we are able to see so clearly and so evidently the love that you have for us. The love that you had for Peter and um, giving him that comforting word, those two words, and Peter, uh, that would have uh, very much been a much welcomed addition as he heard it, Lord. And we pray that we would each and every one of us here be able to enter our own names there. And that it would be for each and every one of us. That the death and the blood that was shed, we would be reminded that it's shed for all. All those who have trusted and all those who have repented of their sins. The sins in our lives that are indeed so bitter. We pray, Lord, that we would grieve those sins in our lives. That they would indeed have that bitter taste. And it would then point us to the sweetness of Christ. We give you thanks for that uh, wonderful uh, gift of salvation. Uh, We pray that each listening here today, whether online or in person... Uh, would would look inwardly, would examine the sin in their own lives. And as uh, Reverend McKeever said many years ago, that if there was a screen in the back of our televisions, would we be happy for people to see our thoughts and to see our actions uh, in plain sight? And uh, many of us, if not all of us, would say no to that, Lord. So we pray 
that it would be a constant reminder to us to uh, repent of the sins in our lives, to turn to you, to ask for that uh, gift of forgiveness, those riches that were given to us at Christ's expense. Uh, We pray that you would indeed set it upon our hearts to do so for those particularly that have not done so, Lord. So be with us uh, through the rest of this afternoon. We pray for uh, Richard this evening as he brings your word to us. We ask that you would bless it, that you would bless him, and there would indeed uh, be a word uh, that is um, uh, pleasing for you to see and to use in the hearts of those that hear it, Lord. So be with us just now. Go before us, be round us, keep us, pardon our many sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And we'll close with the words of Hebrews 13, verse 20 to 21. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.